1 Timothy chapter 2. As we continue our study here of, of this little letter that Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy in the city of Ephesus about the importance of good teaching and good leadership within the church there. We're going to be starting into chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 today. So I'll invite you to look at that with me here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers... Intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Gracious Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for this promise of who Jesus is and of the love you have and your desire for all to, to know and to receive salvation. God, I pray that you would uh, speak to us today from this word. If there's anything in us that would um, be a distraction or a, a, a cause for us not to hear, Lord, we pray that you would eliminate that. And help our minds to be fixed on you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 1 was uh, about doctrine and right teaching. Chapter 2 here, Paul is going to start to focus on worship and the right order of worship within the church. Um, chapter 3 is when he gets to issues of leadership uh, and qualifications for leadership. So here we are now starting chapter 2, and he's going to begin his instructions by talking about prayer and the importance of prayer. And when he says there at the beginning in verse 1, he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. He's, he's saying, first of all, not because this is just the first thing on my list that I happen to be thinking of, but he's saying, first of all, because this is of most importance. This is the first uh, uh, thing we need to focus on because it matters over all. This is the first thing. On Tuesday evening, as, as Rick mentioned, we're going to be hosting the uh, annual Keep Watch Prayer return event. Keep Watch Prayer is an incredible ministry that's been going, I think, for uh, about eight years now. And it started here in Toledo, but it's spread to many other states. It involves sending out prayer teams every week into local schools to walk the halls before or after school begins and to pray. To pray for teachers, to pray for staff, to pray for students to pray for God's protection over the schools, and to pray. Uh, each week we have a different prayer guide that we're, we're given with scriptures to focus on a different area of emphasis. We've got teams here from Holland that are going to the Springfield Middle School on Wednesday mornings, to Holland Elementary on Thursday mornings, and it's just a great, 
great ministry. And so Tuesday evening at 7, all of Keep Watch representatives are going to be gathering here from, I think they're in about 100 schools now. And um, we're going to invite teachers and administrators of those schools to come and to be prayed for. And um, it's, it's just a really, really great time. You're welcome to come. And if you're a teacher, especially, we want you to come and we want to pray for you. Uh, but Wendy Yeager, the director of this ministry, often says that, uh, you know, we think of prayer as something we do in preparation for ministry. It's like we pray before we go on a ministry uh, trip or we pray before a meeting. We, we pray as some sort of preliminary activity. She says, I want to I change the way we think about prayer. Prayer isn't something we do just as a, as a step towards something else. Prayer is the thing we do. Prayer is that important. I think that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, first of all, then, I urge prayer. That prayer is at the heart of what we do. It's not just a preliminary action. It's our primary action. And as we look at the, the, the key uh, characteristics, the defining characteristics that we want to have uh, before us always as a church, we have 13 on that list. If you go to our website or if you look at some of the things we print out, we, we list these 13 defining characteristics. And I often tell people they're not in any particular order except the first one. And that is prayer dependence. We are dependent on Prayer. I always like how Watchman Nee said it. He said, our prayers lay the tracks on which God's power comes. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without rails. And so prayer is just the way God has called us to be a part of making that path for his power to be poured out in some really incredible ways. So Paul says here, first of all, we pray. But I understand prayer is difficult for most people. Even people who maybe have, have been in the church a while, maybe you have uh, been a Christian for a long time, prayer might still be something that you're not comfortable with, especially if, if you're with other people and you're asked to maybe pray in a group. It can be um, kind of intimidating or challenging. But, you know, in some ways I can, I can respect it. I mean, we are talking to God. And I don't think we should take that lightly. But at the same time, the awesome God, the creator of all the universe, has, has come to us in love and in relationship and said, I want you to talk to me. I want to hear from you. And just open up your heart. Just tell me what you feel and how you think. And, and Paul lists for us four ways or, or four characteristics in some ways of, of prayers. And so if you struggle with prayer, think about it in these different ways. He says in verse 1 to, 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 to bring forth supplications, supplications, to, to offer prayers, to offer intercessions, to offer thanksgivings for all people. Supplications are the, requ are the requests that we bring to God. So what is it that's on your heart that you need God to provide for? He is God. He can provide. Jehovah Jireh, our God, provides so we shouldn't feel awkward in bringing our requests to God. He asks us to do that. So it's a step of obedience to ask him for things. It's disobedience to not ask him for things. He opens up that door. And you say, but I'm not worthy. Well, of course you're not. But he offers his uh, loving help to us. And he invites us to ask. 
And so we honor him with our supplications, with our requests. He says to bring before him our prayers. Well, that's probably the most general term used here. I mean, this is all about praying, and we bring him our prayers. Our intercessions is the next word he uses. Uh, intercessions are kind of like our supplications, although those who kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the terms here and the words that he's using would say that the intercession is maybe a little more um, uh, conversational in terms of talking to God about your problem. Have you ever faced a struggle, been in a difficult situation in which you just start this inner dialogue with God? Um, just, just, just talking to God about what it is you're, you're, you're dealing with. You know, I, I'm often at the parks, the metro parks, for, for a jog, a run, a walk. Usually I'm running. But every, whenever I go to those parks, I always see uh, somebody there, many people there, walking, sitting on a park bench somewhere. And I just think to myself, what are they thinking? There's something going through their heads. Maybe they're wrestling with a, something in their life. Maybe there's a, a relationship that they're, they're struggling with. Maybe there's a decision they have to make. Why does somebody go to the park and just walk or just sit on a park bench? Why do you go to the park just, just, just to go? And, and, and to realize there's something in our hearts, in our minds that's, that's, that's turning over and, and to direct that to God, to direct those thoughts to God, that is what intercession is. And then thanksgivings. Express your gratitude to God. Think of all the things he's blessed you with, all of his gifts that he pours out upon you. This is how we pray, uh, to, to offer supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. And not just for ourselves, but he says for all people, for all people, to think about those around us that we can be lifting up in prayer. And then Paul lists some specific people we should be praying for. He says in uh, verse 2 there, to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. And certainly speaking of kings, pray for the new king of England. Got a big job. Pray for those who mourn for the passing of the queen. Pray for others in high positions. Pray for presidents and for governors and for judges and for other leaders, we are instructed to pray. And you know, you might not agree with them. You don't have to agree with them in order to pray for them. In fact, maybe pray that God would work in their hearts so that there would be more agreement. But they shouldn't need to earn your vote before they get your prayer. And certainly as Christians, we're called to pray. So when Paul wrote these words, about praying for kings and others in high position, it's important to remember that Nero may have been the emperor of Rome at the time. And uh, Nero was certainly no friend of, of Christians. He had many put to death. In fact, it's quite likely that Nero put Paul to death. So Paul here is urging the Christians in Ephesus to pray for the man who ends up killing him. This instruction is carefully worded. The Roman Empire required its subjects to worship the emperor and to pray to the emperor. But Jews and Christians would never do this. They absolutely refused. And um, so they would only worship and pray to the one true God. Sometimes the Romans would be willing to compromise a little. And what they would settle for is to allow the Jews and Christians to pray for the emperor, 
if they weren't going to pray to the emperor. Sometimes you'd get an extra cranky emperor or the emperor might have a bad day and say, I don't like this. They're praying to me. And that's when the persecution would often start. But the goal here of Paul saying this is to avoid rebellion and uh, to try to limit the disagreements as much as possible for the safe spread of the gospel. And he sets that out in the second part of verse 2. So he says to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So I think this should be the general approach of Christians regarding the subject of governing authorities. We're ambassadors of a kingdom that's not of this world, and we're called to pray for all who are in high positions. So then, keeping that all in mind, Paul seems to shift gears a little bit into verse 3. He says, this is good. I'm thinking he's talking about praying for those in high positions. He says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is pleased when we pray for people who are in authority. And those people might seem distant to us. They might seem some, like somebody we only know through, through media. And they live far away in, in a distant capital city somewhere. But um, they are people too. God loves them too. And, and, and his desire, he says here, is for all people to be saved. God's desire is for all people, including those far away, to come to a knowledge of the truth. If you were a Christian living under Roman rule, the idea of Emperor Nero or some other emperor coming to salvation through Jesus would seem like an impossibility. But Paul wants us to realize that there is no limit to what God can do, and it is his desire for all to come to salvation. And that's a great promise. Let's celebrate that promise that we have here in God's word. It crushes a lot of bad ideas that some Christians have come up with about the nature of God. Don't think that God's love or God's reach for salvation is somehow limited. His desire is for all be saved. We know that because God is perfect in every way. There is no way in which he can do anything that is contrary to his desire. Therefore, if his desire is for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, then he cannot be the cause of someone not being saved or of not coming to the knowledge of the truth. This means if someone is not saved or if they fail to come to the knowledge of the truth, it's not God's doing. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There are some people who feel like, well, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't notice me. God's not interested in my life because I've just messed up too much. No, 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 no. God's longing, his desire is for you not to perish but to come to repentance, to come to life, to come to salvation, to know the truth. But he asks us, in all of our weakness, 
and all of our uh, limited means. He asks us to be the ones to spread the news, to tell others all about this. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that's not just talking about preachers who stand up in front of congregations on Sunday morning. We are preachers of the good news as we tell others about Jesus. As we just tell them who Jesus is, what he's done for us. And we share that love that he has and explain that God's desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. I don't think our shortcomings in this regard will ever compromise God's love or justice. He makes provision so that he is always counted just. But we are given a mandate to share the good news, to call others to new life in Jesus. We are God's chosen means for declaring salvation to the world. And remember that when we share Jesus with others, we're not just helping them find salvation. We are actually helping God fulfill his desire. God is pleased when we share Jesus with others because it is his desire for them to be saved. Don't think for a second that we become the key to this or that we become the mediator. Salvation doesn't come through us, but only through one man, Christ Jesus And so our role is to point the way to him. And that's where we go here in verses 5 and 6. Look at that here with me. It says in verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Look at the non-negotiables here of the faith that Paul lays out for us. First, he says, there is one God. There is one God. This means we don't pick which God we like best. We can't say, well, you have your God and I'll have mine. We certainly don't create a God that suits our expectations. There is one God. He is over us in every way and we depend on him in everything. One God. Second, he says, there is one mediator. One mediator between God and men. And who is that? That is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our only way to God. No other mediator exists. No philosophy, no religion can provide the link we need. Jesus is the key. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else, but there is, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus can open the only door with the only key. He gave us his life as a ransom for all when he died on the cross. That's the next thing Paul says here. And that um, it is this, this ransom for all that Jesus becomes in order to make that mediation possible. A ransom is a price paid so that someone who is held captive can be set free. Jesus' death on the cross paid the ransom and he paid it for all. 
It's not our good deeds outweighing our bad deeds. It's not being a member of the right church or the right group. It's not reciting the creed or participating in the sacraments. It's faith in Jesus Christ that saves us because he is our mediator between God and men. Passages like this should inspire us, inspire us to share this great news with others. This is the key. This is the hope. This is the answer. And yet I know we're often easily discouraged when we, when we find hard ground or when we face some kind of resistance. But remember, God is on our side. This is his desire. Why would he work against his own desire? He is making the way. For others to hear and to be saved through Jesus Christ. I was blessed this week to be able to attend the, the Gideon's Pastor Appreciation Dinner. And uh, every year it's so encouraging to hear the stories of how God's word uh, reaches uh, people. There was a, a young woman who shared her testimony. She was from India and how she was so steeped in, in the Hindu religion and, and, and personally antagonistic to, to Christianity, and, and yet someone had given her a Gideon Bible. And she wound up at Moody Bible Institute. That was extra cool. And now she's running a homeless shelter in Bryan, Ohio, uh, of all places. And, and, and just to hear her testimony about what God's word had done to transform her. If God can reach someone like her, we just need to remember God can reach the people that are around us. And then verse 7, Paul says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. You just get the sense he really wants to emphasize. <laughs> this is serious. I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. You know, oftentimes it's easy to get hung up on the technical challenges of ministry. And I just remember that this is a letter from uh, a seasoned pastor to a younger pastor. And so he's talking about what it takes in the ministry. And, and the aim of a preacher and an apostle is simple. Promote prayer and share Jesus. It just doesn't get any better than that. It's any simpler than that. It's something we can all do. And I can remember very well, uh, it's been a long time since I shared this story, the story of, of, of Mrs. Treese. But as a young student at uh, Moody Bible Institute, uh, 18 years old, I had shown up on campus and I did not know what to do. Uh, we were asked to participate in a ministry every week. So everybody had to have an assignment and you had to go somewhere once a week, do some kind of ministry. And I'd been given this assignment to work with a child evangelism fellowship uh, class at a church, but it wasn't going to start until mid-September and school started in mid-August. I had like three weeks I had to do a ministry and I, my assignment wasn't starting yet. And they said, well, just find something because you have to do something every week. And there was this bulletin board in, on campus where sometimes if there was some sort of ministry need that they needed a student to help out with, they'd post the need on this bulletin board so you could call a number and maybe find something to do. And so I saw one there posted for this, this nursing home about a mile from campus. And there was a woman who had apparently uh, requested or, or somebody had requested that somebody come to visit with this woman. So I called the number up and I got the information about where she lived and uh, arranged a time to go there. And so I walked a mile up 
Clark Street in Chicago to this, uh, to this nursing home. And um, I met somebody at the door and they said, oh, you're here to visit Mrs. Treese? I said, yeah. I said, well, we just need to let you know um, she's in pretty bad shape. She's only been here a short time. She's very sick. We don't expect her to, to make it much longer. And you just need to know she's very angry. She's upset. Um, you're probably not going to get very far in trying to talk to her. They've warned me this. And, I, and I'm like 18 years old and thinking I haven't had any pastoral counseling courses. I don't know what to do. And I remember walking into that room and uh, seeing her lying in that bed. She was one of the thinnest people I had ever, ever seen before, just kind of curled up in this ball. And um, the nurse kind of stirred her awake and she looked up and said, there's somebody here to, to visit with you. And I introduced myself and she said to me, I'm a terrible person. I don't deserve to live. I'm worse than Hitler. That's what she told me. I remember that. She said, I'm worse than Hitler and I'm going to die. I don't know what all had kind of <laughs> come together to cause her to feel that way. Her family all lived out of town. She didn't have anybody nearby. And I remember just saying, well, uh, would it be okay if I prayed for you? And she didn't even really give me an answer. But I prayed anyway. And then I was on my way. And partly in the back of my mind, I thought, well, the, the mile walking here, the five minutes I spent with her, the mile walking back, that counts for about an hour of ministry. Check that off for that week. Next week, I still have to find something to do. And I decided, well, I'll go back and see if Mrs. Treese is hanging on. And I uh, went into her room and I'll, rem I'll never forget the, the sight of her reaching up her hand, wanting to shake my hand. I came in the door that day. And this time she said, would you, would you mind reading a little scripture to me? Okay. She said, I want you to start in Matthew. Well, Matthew starts with a genealogy. Not that exciting, but we read Matthew chapter one, prayed together. And... Uh, she was a little more open that day. And the next week I came back. And um, then she introduced me to her roommate. She's like, this is Mary. And um, Mary started joining us for our little Bible reading and prayer. So I'm going to make this short, long story just a little bit shorter and tell you that over the next year and a half, Mrs. Tree started a Bible study there at the nursing home. She invited nurses, she invited other residents, and I just got to see this happen because all I did was show up and we read Matthew, we read Mark, we read Luke, we read John, we read a number of the epistles. I mean, it was incredible how far we got until that Christmas break, my sophomore year, I got a phone call from Mrs. Treese's daughter, I think somewhere in New York or Pennsylvania saying, my mom told me about you. <laughs> And I tracked down your phone number through Moody Bible Institute, and I just wanted to say thanks. She passed away last night, but she went peacefully because she trusted the Lord. And what an awesome example 
of how God's word and prayer and the message of Jesus changes lives. Somebody who was completely shut down, turned off, ready to die, given new hope. And it wasn't because of me, but because God was able to allow me the opportunity to share in that special way. And so that's what God calls us to, a ministry of prayer and of sharing Jesus, something any of us can do as we trust in him. Gracious Lord, I thank you for the countless ways in which you have worked in the lives of people across time and in so many places. Lord, I pray that you would renew our confidence today in the power of this message that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus our Lord, and that your desire is for all to be saved, for all to come to a knowledge of this truth. God, we want to work with you and sharing in that. Thank you for calling us. Bless uh, our week as we go forth as your ambassadors in Jesus' name. Amen.